The Lord calls us to worship this morning from Psalm 106 and 105. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. For He remembered His holy promise, and Abraham His servant. He brought out His people with joy, His chosen ones with gladness. Praise the Lord. Amen. Lord, we pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you would be pleased with everything that happens here in this service of worship today. That the thoughts of our hearts, the meditations of our minds, the words off of our lips, and even the attitudes that we have will be pleasing to you. Lord, we pray that as we offer up worship to you, that it would be as a sweet-smelling savor in your presence. Lord, we pray that you would also pour out your Spirit upon us, that as we worship, we would not do it in the strength of our flesh, or in our own efforts, that you would carry us along, that you would be pleased to be with us here in your house. And Lord, we join our hearts together as your people, the church, to pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the hymnal, if you would like to look at it there. I'm going to begin by asking you, since this is a statement of your faith, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Romans, chapter 5. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. 
Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Amen. Let's continue to worship now as we sing together from your hymnal number 689, Be Still My Soul.
and the children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. It's good to see you all. I have a question for you. Well, actually, a couple questions for you. Um, I wanted to ask you this morning, what is the hardest thing about being in church? And I mean being in this room, not necessarily being a member of the church, but what's the hardest thing about being in church for you? Sitting still, said Danny. Anybody else? Being quiet, sitting still, being quiet. Yes. What about uh, being distracted? Seeing other people do stuff, or maybe somebody drops something that's really loud. Yeah. Or maybe somebody looks funny today. Maybe. <laughs> A few smiles. Well, actually, Danny, I didn't know if we'd get there, but Danny actually got it first. In our scripture passage this morning that we're going to read for the sermon, there's this command from God that says, Be still. Have you ever been told that in church? Any of you? True confessions. Everybody. Unanimous. Be still. And why do you suppose it's important for you to be still in church? So you don't distract people? Jacob? Same thing? Anybody else? Why is it important to be still? Because you need to be quiet and be still. Yes. Damn. So you can listen. So you can listen. Those are all exactly right answers. Jacob? And you can learn stuff on top of it. I was hoping somebody wouldn't say, I was hoping somebody wouldn't say, because my mom said so. But that would be an appropriate answer. Um, but being still in church, being still in worship, so coming in this room, it should cause you to, to think about why it is we worship. Being still is about being before the Lord, knowing that it is God in heaven whom we owe all of our worship, all of our attention, all of our praise, and all of our hearts, all our energy. So there's nothing else that we should carry in here with us. Nothing else we should busy our minds with on Sunday morning. This is the Lord's Day. It's a day to worship Him and glorify Him. And our own tradition says that we're to occupy this entire day, not just this hour, but this entire day, all of Sunday, with worship and thoughts of the Lord Jesus, and give unto Him all the honor that He's due. God told us six days shall we labor, but on the seventh it is what? It's a Sabbath unto me. This is a day to honor Him, to worship Him. It doesn't mean you shouldn't honor God the other six days. You absolutely should. But He said, this one is mine. Be still. So this morning, when you go back and sit, and when you're tempted to wiggle or move, don't think, I need to be still or I might get a punishment at home. Be still, because you are before the living God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for our covenant children this morning, for their bright faces, for their smiles, for their wiggles, even in worship. Lord, we thank You and praise You that You have blessed our families and our church families with children. That we are here together today to be able to see and to behold and proclaim Your goodness from one generation to the next. We thank You for our covenant children. We pray, Lord, that You would have Your hand upon them that you would protect them and guide them, lead them in your truth. And Lord, we pray that we as a church family, those who live before them, will set before them an example 
Not of people who are perfect, because we are not, but of people who fear you and walk before you and seek to honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to read Psalm 139 together. It's on page 836 in the Green Hymnal. Psalm 139. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know that I sit and I rise. You position my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Where can I go from your spirit? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day. Our darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in the book before one man came to me. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Amen. Turn in your hymnal to number 699 and let's continue to worship singing like a river glorious.
this time I'd like to call forward Mr. Daniel Garifallon for just a moment. This is very exciting that Daniel is coming. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had the uh, privilege to honor our graduates, and Daniel was not here because he was traveling. And so, Daniel, we wanted to honor you and pray for you today. But can you tell us a little bit about your plans after graduation and what you're doing this summer? So right now I'm working as a rehab aide for this PT program called Apex Athletic Performance Therapy. Uh, we work with a lot of high school college athletes, so I'm working there until I go to PT school and get my doctorate. All right. Wonderful. You got the answer right. I was told what the answer was yesterday. Have you made the right one? Well, we want to pray for you and pray that the Lord would have His hand upon you this summer and the things that you're doing and bless you in school. And what an accomplishment, Daniel, to, to graduate from college. It is an esteemed privilege to say that you went to college and to graduate even is a blessing. So I'm going to pray for him in just a moment. Also wanted to pray for our missionaries and uh, particularly for Steve Jessen. I gave you a, an update last week and I praise the Lord. They did not find any cancer. Uh, but they are still looking at one other thing. Um, and so just keep them in your prayers um, this week, he and his wife. Pray for you. Father, we thank you for Daniel. We thank you for the work that you have done in his life. To graduate from college is no small accomplishment. And we pray, Lord, that you would have your hand upon him as you do. Uh, that he would enjoy work this summer. That he would make good connections with people. That he would be a light for the gospel among athletes and others. And Lord, we do pray that you would bless him as he prepares to go to PT school, that you would give him a mind to do the work that is in front of him. Help him, Lord, to be able to distinguish between things that have to be done right now and things that can wait. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to guide him and give him wisdom and strength in the things that he does. Bless his health, that he would not be able to have to uh, be distracted with anything else, Lord, we pray. And we do also lift up to you our brother, Steve Jessen, we give you praise and thanks and all glory for answering our prayers that he doesn't have cancer. But Lord, we do lift him up that you would please give, give him grace and strength to trust in you as he awaits this next scan. We pray for his wife, Julie, too, that you would bless them together. That as they look to you and seek to glorify you in this trial, that you would be pleased to do that. Be merciful to them even as they think about finding a house, Lord. Help them in this transition. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 46. Psalm 46. The sermon is entitled uh, this morning, Be Still. Psalm 46, I'm going to read verses 7 through 11 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God abides forever. Today in our series, Being Still in the Busy this summer, as we consider that thought and this topic, we're zeroing in on the phrase, Be Still, from Psalm 46.10. What comes to mind when you hear those words, Be Still? Maybe closing your eyes, quieting a very busy mind, maybe calming your own anxious soul. Perhaps every Sunday these words are whispered in one of these pews. Be still. Stop wiggling. Don't touch that. Leave your sister alone. Just be still. And I know maybe some of you moms and and dads, you cringe a little bit when your children move or, or maybe when something happens unexpectedly. But as is the case, probably many times you probably notice it a lot more than other people do. So take heart, dear parents. It's good that you bring your children to church, even the little ones. It's good to be here together as God's people. Or maybe as you thought about those words, you think about a needed personal prayerful reminder. Those words that we just sang, be still my soul. The Lord is on your side. He won't abandon me. Maybe sometimes you need to be reminded of the presence of God and the power of God in your life. No matter what you thought as you considered those two words, whether it was the wiggles of little ones on the pew next to you, or maybe your own anxiety-laden heart, I believe that these words are desperately needed to be heard in the church today. I don't mean necessarily only here at Lebanon, I mean the church universal. God's people throughout this world, on every continent, in every nation, in every state, in every church where God's people are gathered together today to worship. We need to hear these words from the living God. It is a command from Him, be still. Oh, may the living God be pleased today in this room to move by His Holy Spirit, to open our eyes and our ears that we might hear and believe. This morning I want to look at this text briefly under three headings. The first is a grave error. The second is have you forgotten? And lastly, number three, call upon the Lord. Number one, a grave error. And maybe begin this point by asking, have you ever made a huge, costly mistake? And I mean one specifically that would cost you or maybe in your in your job, your company, significant money? Have you ever had the responsibility of taking a particular action? And if you don't do it, there are consequences. Have you ever made a significant mistake and it was costly? And after you discovered it, almost had an out-of-body experience. The weight of it landing all over you. How could I do that? How could I forget How could I not do something I was supposed to do? I knew it was my responsibility and I didn't do it. And now it's going to cost. It's going to hurt. I might lose my job. Have you ever done that? Have you ever made a huge mistake? I think coming to this text this morning, there's a grave error that we could make as a people, as God's people, even as believers. We could make a mistake reading this this text a certain way. And I really wanted to preach this text as I prepared and and thought about this text several weeks ago. 
that this would be so encouraging for God's people to hear. Be still and know that I am God. The nations are raging around us. Your own heart may be out of control. You need to hear, be still and know that He is God. But as I studied and prepared for this morning, I felt constrained by the text itself that I had to preach the Word of God as it is written and as it was intended. And I believe it would be a grave error to speak any other way to you. I want to ask you a few other questions to probe your heart and to prepare you and maybe give you a sense of getting into this text. Why do we read the Bible? Number one. Why do we read the Bible, really? When you're sitting at home tomorrow morning, maybe before you go to work, before you've had the first sip of hot coffee, why do you read the Bible, really? And why do we say that the Bible plays a critical role in the day-to-day life of the Christian? Why is it significant that we want our children to grow up learning to read their Bibles? Why do we model it before them? Another question, does accurate biblical interpretation matter? It absolutely does. It's significant. And what if the Bible accurately interpreted to you, accurately explained, carefully given to you, what if it contradicts what I believe about God? about myself and how I'm living. What if it does? And I know some of you may be scratching your head and saying, well, I don't know if the Bible contradicts anything I believe. Or maybe some of you are scratching your head or wagging it saying, I find that over and over again every day. My thinking is backwards. Many times I read the Bible and I see God speak and it's different than what I thought. I pray that that's the case for you. That the Lord is working in your life. That He is showing you His ways. That He's transforming your mind. Because none of us think God's thoughts after Him unless He puts them in us. Unless He does it. We won't think scripturally. We don't have it. It's not an ability we have on our own. None of us have that inclination apart from the Spirit of God working in us. And this text is no different. In the liturgy of the church, says Dr. R.C. Sproul, this passage from the Psalms has frequently been applied to our practice of maintaining a calm and serene attitude and a posture of patience. That in the midst of trouble and our anxiety, when we're restless and we're frightened, we're to be still. That is to be calm and quiet, to reflect and to meditate upon the sweetness of God. Now all that sort of thing is a wonderful thing, says Dr. Sproul. And the Bible enjoins us to do that sort of thing from time to time, but it's not the point of this text. The force of the words would better be translated to shut up our mouths before the living God. To be quiet. To close our mouths and know that He is God. It's not a call to calm our hearts. It's a call to be silent in the presence of Almighty God. Silent in the presence of His power and His greatness and His majesty and His glory. Derek Kidner says in his commentary on the Psalms that the injunction here, be still, is not in the first place comfort for the harassed people of God, but a rebuke to a restless and turbulent world. It resembles the command of another raging sea. Be still in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. The end in view is stated in terms not of man's hope, but of the glory of God. 
He says, be still. And yes, absolutely, God speaks, be still over your heart. He absolutely says in many other places, see that I am God. I will take care of you. I make promises. You can depend on them. But here he is speaking as almighty God, the one who created the heavens and the earth in my presence. Be still. Be silent. So I ask you this morning, point number two, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? In Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says, When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers after Joshua had died, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the works which He had done for Israel. Now you might think for just a moment, how is that possible? Don't forget who Joshua was and everything that the Lord did to preserve His people and the mighty acts that He did. How is it possible that from one generation to the next, someone would grow up and not know the Lord and not hear about the works that He's done? At least one answer is nobody told them. Nobody took the time to tell them of the wonderful works of God and His mighty acts in their family. It's not a a statement for our guilt. It's a statement for our reminder. Do not forget day to day. Tell of the wonders of your God to your family. Sitting at the table, riding in the car, out in the fields, at your job. Tell of the wonders of God. We need to hear it. We need to be reminded. So, have you forgotten Him? Have you forgotten who God is? Two questions. Have you forgotten who God is? And have you forgotten who you are? Number one, have you forgotten who is God? In our standards, in the larger catechism, it says, what is God? And the answer, God is a spirit in and of himself, infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection. He is all sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present. He is almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy. Most just, most merciful and gracious. Long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. I'm a bit fearful preaching this sermon. To not say all to you of Him. Just as you will give an answer for everything you have said about Him or not said about Him, I will for this sermon one day. And I pray that you hear it. And I have prayed that you hear it. I prayed this morning, I prayed this week. That you hear the word of God, not me, that you hear him. What we say of him matters. What he says of himself matters more, but what you believe in your heart about him matters. He alone is worthy of all our allegiance, all our honor, every blessing that would come off of our lips, our worship, glory, 
And that phrase is not my own. It comes from Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. The Bible says He is the covenant maker. He is the keeper of all promises that He makes. He is always true to His character. He is never unjust, never unfair, never unwise. He never makes a mistake. And in a way that we cannot fathom, He is never surprised. Never surprised. He is a mighty warrior. He protects and defends and comforts his people with his presence. Look at verses 1 through 5 in this psalm. These are comforting words for a people who are battered in this sinful world. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. This psalm is about Mount Zion. We sing a hymn. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. Onward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. In the Old Testament, Zion represents God's presence with His people, including all of His comfort and power and glory, His promises and His sure will to take care of them. In the Bible, He is also perfectly just as a judge that according to His holiness and righteousness, any punishment that He gives out is always right. It's never too much and it's never too little. It is always exact and sure. Every time. We as parents don't do that. Isn't it a reminder to us when we give out a punishment? We're disciplining best as we think. When God disciplines you, it is perfect. Psalm 119, verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Psalm 99, verse 4. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness. The Bible also says that He is a God of wrath. Dr. R.C. Sproul in his book, Saved from What? I picked a copy of, of this book about a year ago. And I've been reading it. And in the book, he relates this question that a man asked him, basically accosted him with it. And he said, are you saved to Dr. Sproul? And Dr. Sproul said, I was kind of annoyed and bothered by the question because he was right in my face. And I responded and he said, almost, almost out without thinking, I responded, saved from what? And the man stammered and stumbled and he didn't quite know what to say. And so he goes on in the first chapter of this book and he says, do Christians know the gospel? If someone asked you, saved from what, how would you answer? And so in the first chapter, in the second chapter, he spends time speaking about it. What are we saved from? Are we saved from our sins? Are we saved from our bad choices or from enemies? Or are we saved from the wrath of God that is to come? That the Bible says is to come. And interestingly, Dr. Sproul said that he wrote a children's book. And the editors, after they got the children's book, decided that any place he had put the word sin, they said, we don't really want to leave that word in there. It's going to do something to the children. It's going to cause them to think badly about themselves and not have a good self-image. 
If you've ever heard Dr. Sproul, you can imagine how he responded to that. But isn't that significant? What are we being saved from? And why is it that wrath is coming? Almighty God is not so trivial that He would come and respond with wrath because of bad choices or mistakes. We are not a people that simply make mistakes. We are people who are sinful. And we sin because we are sinful. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, John the Baptist is here speaking. And by the way, when it says John the Baptist, it's not talking about what denomination he was adjoined to. John the Baptist said to the Pharisees when they came to the shores where he was baptizing, he said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Why are you here? Basically is what he's asking. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul spoke this way too. He says about these people who he was writing to, he says that something happened in you. And other people now know, he says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, how you turned to God from idols, excuse me, how you turned unto God from idols to serve the living God and wait for His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come again and deliver us from the wrath to come. I ask you, do you believe there is a day of wrath coming upon this earth? I don't mean a day that will feel bad or inconvenient or a day that might seem horrible, like being interrupted in traffic or somebody taking too long at the store because their basket's full or maybe their car got declined. I mean a day coming when the wrath of Almighty God will be poured out. And not a fit of anger. God is not trite. That He just overreacts because people do things that break His commands and so He's upset. He takes it personally. He does take it personally. It's an affront to His character and to who He is. Look again in this psalm at verses 8 and 9. We just read this. Come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots in the fire. Here he's speaking about the nations raging around the world and that he, God, will come and pour out wrath. And some people hear those words and they say, no, I'm sorry, you're in the the first half of the Bible, preacher, and the, the Old Testament God is not the one that we're talking about now. We live in the age of grace. There is opportunity. There's forgiveness. And I tell you, dear believer, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change And though you may hear God is love out in the world, and even from some people who who profess to be Christians, to believe the Bible, yes, God is love, but He is just and holy and right, and those are all part of the same God. You don't get different slices in different stages of history. This is all at one time. God is love. God is just. God is holy. God is right. In the Bible, what's pictured in those verses that we just read is a day of judgment. And it's called the day of the Lord. And it is riddled throughout the Scriptures. It's what John the Baptist was speaking about. 
It's what the prophets told Israel about. And one of the ways that you knew that a prophet was actually a true prophet in the Old Testament was that he spoke about the wrath of God to come. Because if he didn't, if all he told the people was nice things and kind things, then he was a liar and a false prophet. In Zephaniah chapter 1, the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them. In the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of His jealousy, for He will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. I can see why some people might chafe at those words. Is He a God of love? Or is He just angry with us? He knows we can't do His commandments. Why would He pour out wrath on us? Simply for being who we are. Amos chapter 5, speaking of the day of the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? It will be that way for people. When Jesus comes again, there will be no more opportunity for repentance. For people that you love, that you care for, who do not profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who have not repented, it will be a day of judgment. I don't say that wagging my finger. I say it knowing they will burn. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I ask you, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten who He is? And have you forgotten who you are? Do you know yourself? You're a creature made in God's image, a soul. You are very finite in your knowledge, in your wisdom, your understanding, and your power. You are a worshiper. You were made by God's design. He fashioned you to long for and enjoy offering up all of who you are to Him. You are a sinner, according to the Bible. By nature, you are God's enemy, alone and left to yourself. You want to escape and hide from Him. You are a sinner, not because you sin, but because it's who you are. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? The Bible says that. You are also in need of a Savior. You need a Savior. Some people might say, well, I don't agree with that preacher. It's too strong a language. You're in need of a Savior because you can't save yourself. You and I must fling ourselves upon the mercy of God. And the Bible says one way that we do this 
The only way we do this is by repentance and faith. The only way that you do this is by repentance and faith. And I'm telling you to read the Bible as it says, to take it at His Word, it may actually impact your self-image. What those editors told Dr. Sproul. It's going to affect your image if you read the Bible and submit to the authority of God's Word. Either it is the authority or you are. And there's no middle ground. You may feel the weight of guilt before the living God. You may fear the wrath that is to come. Don't move from there. If your conscience is pricked, if there is sorrow in your soul over your heart this, in your heart this morning because of sin, don't move from there. Stay there. Sit in it. Psalm chapter 95, verse 8. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't put it off to tomorrow. If the Lord is prompting your conscience, listen. It is the Spirit of the living God moving in your soul. And there is no more safe place for you to be than there. So lastly, call upon the Lord. I know it might seem strange to talk about calling upon the Lord after such a strong and sober look at who God is in the Scriptures and who we are. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, it says that Adam had Seth, and then Seth had a son, Enosh. And after that time, it says, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. You remember this was after the first murder in the Bible. One of Adam's sons killed the other one. And so their son, their next son was named Seth. What does it mean in the Bible to call upon the Lord? Some people may say, I prayed a prayer years ago, preacher, and you're all worked up over this, but I handled that a long time ago. Me and God are good. I come to church when I can. I throw some money in the plate. I help out when I can. I'll even sweep a floor. I think me and God are good. In the Bible, calling upon the name of the Lord is never simply lip service. It's never simply saying, I'm a Christian. And you might, you might say, well, wait a minute. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, preacher, doesn't it say all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved? So if I cry out to Him, if I ask Him to save me, He'll do it? Absolutely. The offer of the Gospel is there. It is free. It was won for you by the Lord Jesus Christ who spilled precious blood for you. But crying out to the living God is not a word formula. Crying out to the living God is saying and praying to the Lord Jesus in the name of the Lord Jesus to the Father. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. Repenting of your sins, turning from them, and walking forward in your life with the living God. That what you read today changes everything about tomorrow. Not that I might give some thought or lip service to Jesus tomorrow, but that it actually changes who I am. That God by His Spirit comes in me and now something has changed and my desires are for Him. Not just that I'd look like a Christian or talk like one, but actually that He would come in and take away the desires that I have and give me a desire for Him. To love Him and to walk with Him. Not to look like a Christian, but to actually be one. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? And I might say just for a moment, this command, be still, is like every other command in the Bible. 
It comes with the full weight and authority of the living God from the lips of Almighty God. But it is a command you can't do. Just like every other one in those pages. Find one that you think you can do. And God will prove you wrong. You can't do it in your own strength. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14-16, to Paul asked this question of the church at Corinth. Who is sufficient for these things? And nobody answered. We can't. I can't do love your neighbor. I can't do do not lie. Who is sufficient for these things? And what should you do? God, you gave me a command. Be still and see that you're God. How should I respond? You should pray to God. Use the words of this psalm. Lord Jesus, help me to be still. And know that you are God. Help me to be less concerned with my kingdom and more concerned with yours. May I be more eager for your glory than I am mine. If you are saying that, it's by the Spirit of God. Pray that He moves in your heart, gives you a desire for Him. In the book of Hebrews, in closing, it says some very significant and weighty words to us who call ourselves Christians, who say that we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have been moved out of the kingdom of darkness and into His kingdom of light. It says this, Hebrews chapter 2, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, Christians, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him, God also bearing witness with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. How can you and I say we are Christians and not walk with God and then believe He will just allow us into heaven? When God comes into a man or a woman, He changes them from the inside out. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that You're pleased with Your Word today as You have ministered it to us. I pray, Lord, that You would work in the hearts of Your people. Make us uncomfortable today with the truth and the reality of the day that is coming. Lord, we do look forward to it as Your people because we know we will finally be rid of sin. Lord, we pray for our family members, for neighbors, for co-workers, for lost souls around this world, for people who do not know You. We pray, Lord, have mercy. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's Word by singing, It is well with my soul, number 691.
seated as we take an offering now to the glory of God. for the sake of the glory of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the nations. Lord, we thank you and praise you that this is an act of worship before you, giving tithes and offerings, that we might not have our hearts tied to the things of this world that, that glitter before us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us not to think about this as something that we do to earn us a place in heaven. We do this because you command it, and because you have already given us a place in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
receive the benediction of our Lord. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Amen. Amen.